0: thanks for joining me on this cleveland baseball morning the final from angels stadium in california it's the la angels 3 the cleveland guardians 2 i'm davy barris lifelong cleveland baseball fan and i literally just finished watching this game i mean it just ended marlin is probably still typing his email right now uh so sorry buddy uh I'm gonna just go ahead and get this podcast over with and go to bed because it's past twelve thirty here on the East Coast. And uh, God, God, really, guys, really, we can't even beat the Angels. Uh, yeah this this one hurt this this one hurt. I, we're gonna look for the positives, but we should have beat this team. We we are, we are a far superior team to the LA Angels, and we just. Played some really bad baseball tonight. uh there there's positives here. There there are um, you know we had so many opportunities to score early in this game that we we never never came through. No one came through with the big hit. No one came through with a big rally. And a two to one lead in the ninth inning. Yeah, most of the time Emmanuel Classe is going to make that work. And tonight he gives up four hits and a walk to give up two runs. In the bottom of the ninth inning. off guys you've never heard of before. I'm sorry. You would have to be the most diehard fan to know who anybody is in the... right, not anybody. There's a few names we recognize. But most of the guys in this Angels lineup tonight, you would have to be the most diehard, ridiculous fan to know half these names. So, uh... Yeah, and so they get to class A. They get to class A. He elevates some fastballs. They hit some line drives off him, and uh, they walk off. Uh, but we should have given him so much more than a 2-1 to lead. It should have been so much better. In the eighth inning, we, we were so close to adding another run. We got runners on the corner, one out, our best hitter up. And he hits into a double play. and Not just any double play. He chops one to first base where the first baseman steps on the bag and then catches Stephen Kwan in between third and home in a rundown, and they tag him out going back to third base. That kind of double play because that's the kind of night it was because we can't have nice things because we we can't even have simple wins over the LA Angels. Uh, All right, let's get into it. Let's get into the storylines of this game. And I guess while I'm hammering the offense, I – the big positive in this is eventually going to be Cal Quantrill, and a little bit of Trevor Stephan, who had quite the bounce back performance here. Uh, but Quantrill is going to be our positive from the game. Um, I mean, there are other positives. Quan and Ramirez tried their their best to set the table and to create some action. Both of them have three hit games. Quan adds a walk in there, so he's on base four times. Now, he also gets uh, picked off, caught stealing. Uh, I believe that was in the first inning. He also gets stuck in this rundown here in the eighth inning. So, all right, a little bit of bad base running did him in. But he's on base four times. Uh, At least there's that. Ramirez with three hits as well, including a double. But the the seventh inning is the only time they're able to bring him around a score. Loriano and Cole Calhoun aren't aren't giving you anything there in the four five spot in the lineup. David Fry finally gets some at bats. Of course, it's at the expense of Bo Naylor. We all know why he didn't start Bo Naylor in this game because they were facing a lefty, even though the lefty was just an opener out of the bullpen. But you know that's the thought process. Oh well, it's a lefty. We can't start Bo. God forbid we give him experience. God forbid we let him DH even if we're gonna let David Fry catch? Why can't Bo Naylor DH? Why? What do you have to gain? Calhoun is Calhoun is nosediving. His batting average is down to 238. His OPS is down to 704. Calhoun looked good for like a week. And it's it's going downhill fast. Why, why can't Bo Naylor get those at bats? Does Calhoun need to prove to you he can hit left handed pitching? I'm, I'm glad David Fry got at bats, finally. My God, the guy's been back for like a week, finally gets a start. And he's on base twice. Uh, he's hit by a pitch and then doubles. He's trying to spark something in the middle of the lineup, and they can't get him around to score. Gabrielares has a bad night at the plate. Uh, he left a lot of guys on base. Straw, of course, has a terrible night at the plate in the four-hole. His OPS is now down below 600. He's at a 591 OPS. Any other team would have benched this guy a long time ago. (sighs) Uh, We're going to talk about Gabriel Arias here in a second because it seems to me that he is chasing a lot of high fastballs. And uh, first off, his whiff rate, does, he doesn't qualify for any of the percentile rankings on StatCast because he doesn't have enough at-bats. If he did qualify, his 37.1% whiff rate would be like bottom 5 in the league. Bottom 5% in the league. It's that bad. Um, But his hard hit percentage is high. That's what he's got going. His hard hit, he's slugging all right. But... Uh, the whiff rate that stuff the k rate it's bottom of the league so uh, but he doesn't qualify so they they don't quite publish those numbers but now now instead of just not being there on a stat cast page they're grayed out to let you know look this isn't going to qualify for anything but this is where the guy would be with these numbers so i went to look at his illustrator and look what is gabriel arias chasing Because it felt to me like he is really chasing high fastballs. And when I take a look at the four-seam fastballs that he has swung and missed on in the year, they're all pretty much all at the belt or above, and there are a ton, a ton at the top of the strike zone or above the strike zone. In fact, if I go to his illustrator in this game, Gabriel Arias sees, I believe it was six fastballs above the strike zone. One right at the top of the strike zone that he uh, hits in play for an out. Um, A sweeper at the top of the strike zone that he fouled off. But six fastballs above the strike zone. On an 0-2 count, he fouled one off. On an 0-1 count, he swings through it for a strike. On a 3-2 count, he fouled one off. On an 0-1 count, he does take one for a ball in the second inning. On a 2 2 count, he in the second inning, he hit one uh in play for the third out of the inning. And then there's one way up there on a one-two count in the sixth inning that he takes for a ball. So, of the six forcing fastballs he saw tonight above the strike zone, at his shoulders or above, he swung at four of them. Yeah, sure, he fouls them off. He lays off two of them. But he swung at four out of six of those high fastballs. So Gabriel Ars may have a problem chasing high fastballs. It, it, definitely something to keep an eye on. And, and it seemed like there there were certain at-bats where it was high fastball, high fastball, high fastball against him tonight. And uh, they they really were trying to exploit that against him. As my voice disappears for a second. So, yeah, the Guardians offense has no one to blame but themselves uh, for this one. They go 1-for-13 with runners in scoring position. They leave 10 on base. Just to let you know, on the other side of things, the Angels go uh, 4-for-12 with runners in scoring position, and they they leave 10 on base as well, but uh, 4-for-12 with runners in scoring position. Both teams had 9 hits. Uh, The Angels had 4 more base runners via the walk. The Guardians had six base runners via the walk, so plenty of guys on the bases uh, for a 3-2 final. And I'm guessing a lot of that Angels action came in that ninth inning there Uh, because it seemed like the only time they were really threatening was in that ninth inning there. They do get to Matt Moore for a run, but the ninth inning is is basically where their offense kind of loaded up there. Uh, So, yeah, so... The Guardians' offense has no one to blame for themselves. Uh, you know they get uh, they get two guys out in the first. Of course, Quan gets picked off, and L- Ramon Laureano grounds out to end that threat. is hit by the pitch, and then Andres Jimenez singles behind him, but he's thrown out trying to stretch it into a double in a painful-looking slide where he slid into the fielder's legs, um, and then Gabriel Arias flies out with David Fry on third uh, to end the threat. Uh, then if they, uh, flip the lineup over Ramirez drops a double down, uh, two out double. And then the Ramon Laureano, they walk Naylor. They intentionally walk Naylor. So Ramon Laureano up again with guys on and strikes out. Uh, I believe at that point they'd gone to the bullpen. So he was facing a right-handed pitcher. Now he's not facing that lefty. And I already told you, he's, he's not a good hitter against right-handed pitching. Uh, David Fry with that uh, Cole Calhoun with the leadoff walk And then David Fry with the double So now we're set up really great in the fourth inning Really great, second and third And they just, they can't Nobody wants to be the hero Jimenez with a flyout They can't tag and score Gabriel Arias would strike out And then Straw would fly out, of course To end the threat Uh, Quan with a single to lead off the fifth On base again, after a flyout from Ramirez Naylor grounds into a double play uh you get two walks in the sixth inning, but Gabriel Arias grounds out to end that threat. Finally, in the seventh inning, they're able to put some runs together. Finally in the seventh inning. But even this rally is disappointing to me because there wasn't that big that exclamation point. We talk about putting exclamation points on, on rallies. You have to. When you when you when you're starting to lock in offensively, you need someone to put that exclamation point. And the twins did it to us the entire series and uh miles straw flies out to start the rally to start the inning Quan with a single in the right field ramirez with a hard hit single both over 100 mile per hour naylor pulls a single into the right field it allows Quan to come in from second to score we are on the board we have erased that zero finally we got something up there Runners on the corner, Ramon Laureano with a slow chopper on the infield. There only plays the first. Jose Ramirez comes in to score, so not the big hit, not the exclamation point, but at least we salvage two runs out of this inning, and then Cole Calhoun flies out. So, yeah, I told you, the middle of that lineup there, Ramon Laureano and Cole, Cole Calhoun, they just they weren't giving you anything. Sure, Ramon Laureano gets an RBI here, but we need more than a chop out on the infield. Uh, that does get a run across. We need more than that. We need someone with a big hit and a big exclamation point. And even in the ninth inning, when they flip the lineup over again, because of course Straw starts the inning with a ground out. Quan walks. Jose Ramirez singles, and then Naylor hits into that crazy double play. So, uh, they got man. We were dying for a big hit on this night. So uh, I guess that's all the negatives. I, I guess I guess I went negative first. All right. Now, let me look for the positive here. Cal Quantrill gave you a really, really good start against, admittedly, like I said, this is a lineup where you probably aren't going to recognize a lot of these names, but uh, he gave you a really strong start. Six innings pitched, three hits, no in runs, two walks, six strikeouts from Cal Quantrill on 82 pitches. He's hard hit six times. The six strikeouts does, I mean, that is a little bit surprising. He, uh, if you go to his game logs, that ties his season high in strikeouts uh, against the Mets uh, on a no decision against the Mets back in May. He went five and two thirds uh, with six strikeouts, but he gave up three runs in that one. Um, So a better start here. And uh, going over to his player breakdown page, what was working for him? He was throwing all his pitches. He was throwing all his pitches. I remember at the beginning of the season, he was like 80, 90% sinker cutter. Tonight it's 35% of his pitches were sinkers. Only 18% were cutters. He threw the curveball 15 times as well. Uh which it was 18% of the time. Uh so yeah, it's nice to see what would that be? That'd be a uh, 45, let's do some quick math here. So 53% of his pitches were sinkers or cutters. Half his pitches, he mixed in the curveball, the splitter, the change, even one four-seam fastball just for fun. Uh, And it, it it was effective. It was effective. Wait till you hear the jump in these whiff rate numbers. Um, Overall, so overall on the season, his whiff rate, and by the way, it's in the second percentile. So, bottom, bottom of the league. It's 17.1% whiff rate. Tonight, his whiff rate was 31%, and it was up on every pitch. Every single pitch had an improved whiff rate over what it's been on the season. Uh, The sinker for the season has a 16.2% whiff rate. Tonight, it was 33% whiff rate. The cutter has a 20.8% whiff rate, his highest of any pitch. Tonight, it was a 50% whiff rate. The changeup has a 15.7% whiff rate. Tonight, 50% whiff rate. The curveball has a 13.3% whiff rate. The curveball, which is normally most guys swing and miss pitch, only has a 13.3% whiff rate for him. He doesn't throw it that often. Uh tonight, he threw it a bunch, and it had a 20% whiff rate. So every one of those pitches was better. The top four pitches that he throws were all better whiff rates on the night. That That is a really encouraging sign. That shows me that he's made an adjustment here at the end of the season. Uh, will he keep this going? I, I hope. I hope. Will he regress back to the guy that just throws sinkers cutters and thinks he can pound the strike zone and get that weak contact, which he's he's not getting? He does on this night. The average exit velocity off him is 83.7. So he does get that weak contact tonight. Um, I really hope we keep seeing this guy. This Cal Quantrill can pitch. This guy, this guy is a pitcher. The guy we saw earlier in the season, uh, he was a hurler. I, I don't know. He, he was just chucking it in there. This guy, it seemed like he had a plan. It seemed like he was he was working at bats and uh, clearly getting a lot of swing and miss by by mixing up his stuff, by giving him different looks. So I like it. I like this from Cal Quantrill. I'm encouraged by this from Cal Quantrill. And then, like I said, they do get to Matt Moore for a run. Uh, walking a couple hits off him. But De Los Santos is able to get out of the inning. And then Trevor Steffen comes to pitch the eighth inning. Remember, protecting a 2-1 lead. He had just gotten absolutely blown up last time. And he goes into absolute filthy strikeout mode. Uh, he starts against Gritchick, uh who flies out on the first pitch. All right. Can't strike him out if he's going to do that on the first pitch. Mike Moustakis then, it's a four-seam fastball to Gritchick and then he goes all splitter and for some reason uh it sounded like Rick Manning and Andre Knott got into like a little bit of an argument about this uh Manning going he's got to get back to his fastball and slider that's what got him here and uh, Andre Knott going yeah but the splitter as he's been really effective since he's developed this splitter uh it was a weird it was an interesting conversation uh, they were trying to see each other's point but um I I understand what Manning was saying. Like uh if you if you try too much to uh to get away from that fastball slider combo, uh maybe the splitter won't be as effective. But my God, it is in this game, because his next six pitches or his next seven pitches are all splitters, and they're all the left handed hitters. And, uh, okay, now he's got me curious. Does he throw this pitch more to left-handed hitters than he throws it to right-handed hitters? Uh, Because these two lefties get all splitters. So let's go ahead. Let's find this pitch. No, it's pretty even on the season. It's pretty easy. Uh, He's thrown it 126 times to right-handed batters. He's thrown it 138 times to left-handed batters. Lefties don't see many sliders, though. He saves the sliders mostly for the righties. Uh, the righties seem to get all three pitches, whereas the lefties seem to get fastball, a sl- uh, splitter mostly, mostly not exclusively, but mostly. All right. So let's go back to this at bat here, um, against Eduardo, uh, first against Mike Moustakis, as what he's in technically will be the, the heart of the order for the angels. Although there's not much left to the heart of this order with Otani and Trout, you know, gone on the IL injured. Uh, so he drops a called strike splitter on the first pitch at the knees, then expands the strike zone twice, going even further down and away each time. So it goes uh, off the uh, just on the edge of the plate, down at bel- just below the knees, and gets him to swing through it, and then kind of puts one on the plate, uh, puts one in the dirt, and he swings through it for strike three. So Moustakis, uh just flailing at that splitter, and then Eduardo Escobar he is absolutely pounding the uh, the outside edge of the plate against the left-handed batter. Uh, swings through a splitter just off the plate for strike one. Swings at another one that's on the plate for strike two. Um, lets one go that's in the dirt, make it a one-two count, and then comes back and paints the outside edge, the outside bottom corner of the strike zone and he swings through it. He chases it. They could not make contact with it uh, for strike three. So he strikes out Moustakis and Escobar on seven splitters. Go to his player breakdown page. If you couldn't do that math in your head, that is a 100% whiff rate on the splitter. Five swings, five whiffs. That's impressive. (laughs) That's absolutely fantastic filthy from Trevor Stephens. so clearly clearly upset about what went down the last time he was on the mound and clearly took it out on these angels hitters with that filthy filthy splitter if he's gonna throw it like that I'm, I'm with andre not throw this thing as much as you as much as you want um the split split finger fastball can be such a nasty nasty pitch uh if you do it right. I will be curious to see how he keeps using it off the fastball and slider. Uh, right now, it's his second most used pitch. Uh, it was last year, too, over the, uh, over the slider. He had just started to mess with it in 2021. In 2021, he only threw it 98 times. Uh, he threw just so many four-seam fastballs. 723 forcing fastballs. He was... I mean, the fifty, almost sixty percent of his pitches were four seam fastballs in twenty twenty one, and you know they hit it pretty hard. They they had a two seventy four batting average. They slugged four ninety three off it. Um, but the splitter had a fifty two point five percent whiff rate. He only threw it eight percent of the time though. Then in twenty twenty two, he starts using it more, and he he gets it up to twenty seven point seven percent of the time he's using it. The fastball is now down at forty seven point four. And these, it would be pretty similar to what he's doing this year uh, in 2022 and 2023, using the splitter second most, just barely above the usage of the slider uh, by a couple of pitches. Uh, This year it's even less. It's uh, like less than 10, nine pitches separate them um, in usage, but the whiff rate has stayed high above 50% in every season for that split finger. So what a weapon I know there's some of you out there that you know feel very shaky about Trevor Stefan, but he he's one of those guys that just he looks great, looks great, gets absolutely destroyed, looks terrible, and then looks great for his next three outings. so very hot and cold, which I guess I guess you'll have to you know you you have to live within the bullpen sometimes uh it's hard to be perfect every single time you go out there. Uh, and I get, you don't want him being blown up for what, what did he give up, like four or five runs last time he was out there? You don't want that. But that also had to do with Miles Straw letting a ball go right past him and all the way to the wall for a bases clearing triple. But you don't want that. Like we understand if, you know, every now and then you're going to get hit for a couple runs, but, uh, you don't want that. This I'll take every night. Uh, this guy was filthy. Unfortunately, like I said, Emmanuel Classe has his bad night. And gives up four hits, some line drive singles. Uh, they were they were squaring them up pretty good. I mean, some of these singles, the double was at uh, Wallach that hit Wallach hit a double into the uh, gap in right center field, which kind of started things that kind of one hop the wall at 97.4. Brett Phillips with a weak single, he bloops one in the left that's 70.1, but then Kyron Paris, Kieran Paris, I honestly I I have no idea who he is. I apologize to Mr. Paris. Um, Hit one at 104.7 into right field. Uh, Then Brandon Drury hits into that force out where they go home and get the out of the plate, then a chance to get out of it. But Grichik singles back up the middle at 105.5 on an elevated fastball out over the plate to win the game, to walk it off. And I'm sure you heard Underwood going on and on about how Grichik wasn't supposed to play and, uh, who got hurt? Some uh, Renifo got hurt in the on deck circle, and Grichik has to go in there. And of course, he's the one that ends up and wins the game. So uh, that's all my thoughts. You know, I forgot MVP on the day yesterday. Uh, MVP on the day would have gone to uh, Will Brennan. MVP on this day has to go to Cal Quantrill, right? A very, very solid start from Cal Quantrill. Um, and unfortunately, the, the team ends up losing the game. Uh, he, but he, he gave them every opportunity to succeed, every opportunity to win this game with that quality start, with that more than quality start. Like, yes, yes, it does qualify for a quality start because he goes six innings. But I think we can all agree, six shutout innings from Cal Quantrill, who's had a very shaky season. Uh, that is way more than a quality start right there. And that's why he is getting MVP on the day. And would you look at that, Marlon snuck his email in here uh, before, just before I wrapped up the episode. Marlon, you must have heard me. Uh, I'm sure he was, I, who knows, maybe there's some typos in here. Maybe Marlon was rushing at the keyboard to get this in here because he knew I was talking about him. Uh, he says, uh, hi Davey, I can't believe the Guardians lost not only to an Angel squad, but a squad without Otani, Trout, and Renifo. This was a sloppy game from the guardians and it's disappointing when they're clinging to their playoff lives are they clinging anymore marlon i i don't think we're clinging anymore i think we're just riding this thing out he goes on this team has been missing their fire and passion all season quite frankly they didn't deserve to win this game poor fundamentals were the moral of tonight's story jose ramirez made his 13th error of the season kwan was picked off at first jimenez was thrown out while trying to inexplicably stretch a single into a double Calhoun and Fry started off the 4th inning by reaching 2nd and 3rd base, but Jimenez, Arias, and Straw failed to deliver hits and couldn't even hit a sack fly to bring home one run. Josh Naylor hits into an inning-ending double play in the ninth inning. After swinging at the first pitch he saw, they had runners at the corners with one out and all he needed was a sack fly but failed to deliver. These two plays are bad, especially for a contact team that struggles to make contact. Josh Naylor also made a poor throw to home in the bottom of the ninth, but was saved by a nice stretch play by David Fry. I don't recall a Cleveland team playing as sloppy and not fundamentally sound this season during Tino's tenure here. All right, man. maybe a little bit of extreme statement, Marlon. I, I actually do think they've played sloppier games, quite frankly. Um, David Fry, let's give him credit too, because he blocked some balls and, and backhanded some balls inexplicably. Uh, that Emmanuel Classe was trying to throw to the backstop in that ninth inning, and Fry did not let one single 100 mile per hour pitch get past him. Uh, so F- Fry actually played some pretty decent defense behind the plate there. What does Tito uh, Mar- Marlin goes on? What does Tito ha- have against Bo Naylor? He sits him because the Angels started a lefty without realizing Diaz is making a spot start. Exact. Marilyn, man, we're on the same wavelength. And wouldn't last too long. In the very least, he should have been the DH instead of Calhoun, who has cooled off the last few games. Alright, Marlon basically goes on to summarize the exact points we already talked about in this game. With Bo Naylor, uh, with Cal Quantrill in the strikeouts, um, with Trevor Steffen coming in. Uh, so, uh, we'll move on to the end of his email you know, he's not the biggest Class A fan, Marlon, is. So he says, Class A blew his 10th save of the season and earned his 8th loss overall. The sad part is he faced the bottom of the Angels lineup, but they lit him up. This is absolutely unacceptable. Despite only being 25, I'm wondering if they should be concerned with him moving forward. I know relievers are volatile, but this has been a poor season for him. Is this an outlier or a trend in the wrong direction? It's one of the problems of him being a contact pitcher as opposed to a strikeout pitcher. He needs to start striking more guys out. Uh, you know what, Marlon? I, I think we, we should appreciate Emmanuel Clause. I I don't think you realize how hard it is to find a closer. I don't think you realize how lucky we've been over the last how many years that we had Cody Allen... Who was so successful at it. And then we kind of move right to Emmanuel Classe, who's been very successful at it. I I would really consider uh, whether you want to move on from classe. It's it's one of those things like moving on from your manager. Like you you don't realize how bad it can be out there. Like this is the big concern with Tito leaving. Like you don't realize how awful it can be. Uh, with some of these managers around Major League Baseball, and it's the same thing with some of these closers. You think Class A is volatile? I'm sure there's probably twenty to twenty five teams around the league that would love to have Class A over their current closer. Uh, that that they could tell you what volatile really is. Um, I, it would be interesting to see if he would ever consider adding a third pitch to the mix. Right? He's been slider cutter for so long. Would he? ever consider a changeup or a you know a two seam or sink or something that moves in the opposite direction uh, you know these are I'm trying to think of pitches that are mostly based on grip and not arm action you know like a curveball or something like that uh, so would he mess around with a change-up grip and maybe get something that breaks down and into these right-hand hitters just you know a couple of times just to keep people honest, it'd be interesting to see if what a third pitch would do for Class a. So, uh, thank you, Marlon, for the email and good job getting it in right before I finish recording. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball morning or very, very late on this Cleveland Baseball evening. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at Cleveland Baseball Mornings at gmail.com. If you did email in, And then, uh, you know, this episode obviously aired before you got your email in. I'll take a look at it. I'll see if we can sneak it into the next episode. And thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning.